0: This series of Radio Rehab episodes are sponsored by Danielli's Fitness in Sonoma, California because here at Radio Rehab, we like to support local businesses. Are you one of those? Well, Danielle definitely is. This woman has helped me take care of my mind, body, and spirit during sobriety, and I cannot thank her enough. She's located in Sonoma, but you can take Zoom classes with her whenever you want. And let me just tell you, I'm so sore right now, but in a really good way. Do it. Danielleysfitness.com. That's D-A-N-I-E-L-L-Y-S fitness.com. Go.
1: Welcome to Radio Rehab. Here's your host, Dana Keys.
0: Welcome to Radio Rehab. I'm your host, Dana. I'm an addict and alcoholic. This is a show for other addicts and alcoholics and also for their families and for anyone who knows us. If this is your first time listening, we have over 300 episodes in the bank. You can go back and listen to all of them. If you can't get to a meeting right now, which is completely understandable, you can go back and listen to any of our episodes please do. We welcome you. And if you like what you hear, please rate, subscribe, and like us because it makes me happy. Gives me a reason to wake up tomorrow. Welcome back to my friend Polly. In this episode, we discuss Polly's spirituality and how he came by it. Also, how he got clean and sober. We also talk about how to be uncomfortable and sit with ourselves and the dangers of fentanyl. But first, let's hear about why he started doing crack in the first place, shall we?
1: I was living in Planet X Studios, <laughs> a rehearsal and recording studio, which is where I met Alvis Costello. He was doing this tour just him and Steve Naive solo and I made him tea every morning and I because I lived at the rehearsal studio I hung out with him for three weeks and he was great but when he left he said you take care of that Paulie. I want you to watch over him I'm concerned about him you know my bottom came shortly after that because I just just too fucked up and lost that job and I couldn't take being homeless again and the reason I started doing crackers because my coffee pot broke and I started to do this drug substance use disorder math which was A new coffee maker is 70 bucks. I can get a rocket crack for 20. I'll save 50 bucks. Exactly. You know, know, it's right outside the window. You know, so, of course, I shot crack instead of smoking it. But this is, you know, anyway, so I got to this point where, like, you know, we do share molecules, that's science. And I don't think spirituality and science have to be separate at all. As a matter of fact, I think they're intrinsically, really deeply intertwined. Um, physics proves its own limitations Mm -hmm. and uh, we will never scientifically explain some things. And that's math. At the same time, religion is to say that fuck out of science. You know what I mean? Like uh,
0: two totally different things. Yeah.
1: Religion and science, but there is room in science for spirituality. And part of that is that we all share molecules. And I felt like whatever it is that we all share my pilot light, it wasn't like OD waking up in the hospital telling, being told that I had a heart attack. and 50 other ODs, it wasn't losing everything, breaking every code, it wasn't any of that horrific stuff. It was just this moment where I realized my pilot light was about to go out. It wasn't a specific thing. And so they didn't let me handle the money when we were playing music, they were that dumb, you know. But, um, so they had been paying dues, like musician union dues, I didn't know that, you know. We had played enough big shows and done enough stuff where I could go to this rehab, a musician's rehab which was in the Mojave Desert, a lot of guys from LA. It was a really weird place. Like, not like Indians, mostly Navajo, Native American, mostly Navajo. Musicians and like redneck tweakers all crammed in this place, you know? So I went there, I I just was ready to, I just had this moment where I wanted to get better. I was with my best friend, Froggy, who talks like a frog, brilliant artist and musician. His name is Glenn Fox, he lives in LA and he's a brilliant artist if you want to look him up. Glenn, Glenn Fox um but i call him froggy because i've known him 40 years since we were kids but he talked like this and we had, we got together before i went to go to rehab and he said so many of us because so many of our crew did really well from atlanta and athens georgia uh-huh. and a bunch of us died you know and he goes like you can't be a tragedy i can't take you being a tragedy to break my heart his voice and i said but what is rehab i don't even know what it is and i said i I think it's like jail for people who can't handle doing shooting drugs. And he goes, yep, that's what it is. And so he didn't know either. And I said, so I think they don't let you shoot up anymore. And you just drink beer and smoke weed. And you're not allowed to do anything else. And he goes, yeah, that sounds about right. And he looked at me and said, you're not going to be able to do that. I said, I know. (laughs) (laughs) But I said, okay, but I'm going to go anyway. He said, you got to go. Just don't be a tragedy. Just go. So I did. and when I remember them telling me I wasn't going to do anything ever again. I almost burst into tears. And uh, yeah, so I went to this musician's reunion in the middle of the desert. You know, I stayed up for a week before I went because I knew I was going to be awful dope sick. I wasn't young, you know, late 30s. And, uh, and so I show up wearing like black leather pants and a black velvet coat. And it was 114 degrees. It was in the middle of the Mojave Desert. I had makeup running down my face. I had, I had, you know, I stayed up and I didn't know, but I, I, I remember how I was like, oh, you cowboys, keep away from the sheep. I thought they were weird, you know? And I showed up looking like that. But I had that, I was awful sick. I didn't sleep for 17 days and my, ooh. Lost my headphones there. My roommate was my child, one of my childhood heroes. Uh, Who's passed away now? He was the drummer for Jimi Hendrix. He was my favorite drummer ever, and his name was Mitch. And um, so he was my favorite drummer, like a hero of mine. And he knew that I was fucking suffering. I felt like, and people who say, you know, it's uncomfortable to go through opiate withdrawal, it would be like me telling a woman, oh, I hear there's some pressure with childbirth. You want to strangle them? <laughs> you know what it does? What opiate hardcore opiate withdrawal does to your soul and your spirit is way beyond the physical brutality of it. And only people who have been through it know. And if you have been through it, then you don't fucking know. And I will never know the pain of having a baby, but I'm never going to tell you. I hear there's going to be, I heard there'll be some pressure or it's uncomfortable. <laughs> right. You know, it's the same kind of fuck you feeling. Yeah. Oh, for not swearing. I'm not doing well at not swearing. That's but fine.
0: It's fine. It's totally fine. All
1: right. So... What the second night I had, I was, uh, I was suffering. I felt that my bones were ripping out of my back. And so it was quiet. I was in the desert and I liked the desert at night, but he started talking. Well, he was a little quiet. He had come straight from Keith Richards house. So he was there. His was mostly alcohol, his thing at that point. So he, he said, so when I first met Jimmy and he stayed up all night with me for like, like five days, he stayed up all night. And he told me the entire story from the moment he, Laid and on jimmy hendrix to when jimmy passed away and then just to keep me company oh and i had told him what a fan of him. he was a beautiful man so and it really got me through it because i was fascinated and it just took me out of my head and the misery and he also tortured me because once i came out of this kick i was still in this rehab you know and um they said this thing where, like, in order to date again, because my drugs and sex and rock and roll had pretty quickly gone to drugs and sex and then just drugs and no sex and rock and roll at the end. Uh, yeah. So I was like, Girls, I'm coming, ready, get ready for me. <laughs> so they said that you have to keep a plant or a pet alive for a while before you should date. So they had chores on this ranch. So I said, I want to water the plants. And they all fucking died, except for two, all over the entire ranch, except for two on the porch, which were pristine and beautiful and never got any worse. And I watered them and bragged about them daily. And he egged me on every day, I go, how are you two plants that are gonna (laughs) make you be God's gift to women doing it? And Paulie, how are they doing? i mean, they're great, they're perfect, look at them. So my last day there, he said, Paulie? I said, what? He goes, those plants are plastic. (laughs) (laughs) You know. I said I don't care. They didn't die, <laughs> um, so I came back to San Francisco, and because um, I and I was living in, I got on GA and I was living in a you get this little time in one of the SROs, which is a single room occupancy hotel in the Tenderloin, and I was shit out of luck and I had five dollars to my name. There was a dirty syringe in the drawer, and I was like, and I had this experience where I started to fall asleep, and this is really woo it's probably better to swear than we'd be woo, but I had this vision of like eternity and it was like like flowing and almost liquid. And I just remember I came out of this kind of, like not sleeping, but not awake state, going like, ooh, ooh, because it felt so beautiful. And my whole body was tingling from it. And uh, life fades and memories fade, but every once in a while, that comes back when I need it the most. And we have spiritual experiences, some are like that, and some are the longer, slower kind. And I'm lucky to say that I've had both. My first meeting, the Navajo dudes thought I was fascinating. You know, I was, I was an anthropological study to them. And so they really took care of me, and they carried me to my first meeting under a full moon in the desert. And um, the full moon in the desert at night is very, well, obviously, it's very powerful. It was to me. And that's when the moment I realized that maybe I want to try not using and maybe things. And all, all of a sudden it was like this open road, you know, I'm stepping back to, I'm stepping back to rehab for a second. <laughs> but this is important. <laughs> so I was leaning on them, like with my arms on them because my felt like that was my first meeting. And uh, it wasn't the meeting, but it was being with these guys and having this vision under the full moon. And there was a white owl in the building we lived in and I had this feeling rush through me, you know, and, uh, Fell down on my knees and they fell down on their knees too. And I thought it was because of my experience being so powerful. Actually, there's something in Navajo spirituality. I think white owl under the moon means you're going to die in three days. It had something to do with that, not me. Uh (laughs) But I thought my experience was that powerful. But anyway, those guys backed me up and took care of me. So I came back here and the only thing I had learned, I had learned that, that there was a link between the 12 steps and then the four and eight in buddhism and that helped me be able to deal with the, the christian language of it also what the fuck did i know you know what i mean you know i didn't know anything about sobriety and i didn't know anything about not using it. i never why you know when i said i was quitting only one person said why it Was this guy richard who didn't notice the earthquake in 1989 <laughs> you know he didn't notice so he ran out of dope and went downstairs to get more and he was in the marina and everything was on fire. Like, oh, something happened, you know? Yeah. So uh, I jumped into recovery and 12, so the 12 step thing is the only thing that works for me. And I, I've, I've delved into it and I've met them. The things that it talks about in the steps, like it talks, but the things that it focuses on more than anything I believe are the things that, are, I mean, as far as being an English major, you know, things that are italicized or underlined or the final statement, your last song of the night, the final statement, and what are those things? God of our understanding and practice these principles in all our affairs. And that's the things that I think are the deepest because I didn't get sober to be just a part of AA. AA is a microcosm of a huge, huge world. And I want to take the experience that I get to have because of, of the 12 Steps and be the person that I'm supposed to be and grow and be a part of that world, but be a sober person and connected with God or the gods or whatever in that world, you know? Mm -hmm. And so I had 11 years sober, you know, had some remarkable experiences. Um, One thing I should say is besides I decided, you know, to try to play music again, and I still do that. I still write songs. Um, I wanted to go make myself useful you know, I was kind of horrified at how selfish I had been. And I think selfishness and fear is like an egg and chicken thing. I'm an egg guy. Mm-hmm. It's like a snake eating his tail. But I think fear and selfishness, I think fear comes first because um, we're all selfish when we're born and then we're supposed to be taught otherwise. But the, we have ridiculous amounts of fear. And I think it makes us selfish and then it makes us more afraid, which makes us more selfish. And so on, and on, and on. It's the sixth spiral that has to be broken. And then the The way around that is to have faith Um, in whatever you choose. It's spiritual anarchy, and that's beautiful. It works for me. Um, I decided to go. I had lost a bunch of friends to AIDS in the 80s, like beautiful men who just showed up one day with splotches on their face, which is KS, Carposisacoma, which prior to then had only been seen in Mediterranean men with dark skin over 50, and all of a sudden these 23-year-old beautiful white guys or young guys were getting in here and dying. Um, my friends would be dead that the strain of HIV and AIDS early was much stronger than it is now. Not that it's still not, not that it's not deadly now, but it was much more deadly then. And people were dying so fast. So I went and volunteered doing AIDS work and I had a career of 21 years doing for, I started doing AIDS work for five years. And then I moved into other harm reduction areas, which I'll talk about in the next segment. Yeah. So I had 11 years sober, but I got to go to Africa and start an AIDS outline in Ethiopia. Wow. You know, and I got to do all these amazing things. And um, I had a my sponsor, whose name was Stevie G, who is this amazing guy. I don't know if you've seen Apocalypse Now, but the guy that Brando plays in that movie is a real commander, and Stevie was one of his soldiers in Cambodia. Wow. And had stories that made my hair stand up, and he was the perfect sponsor for me. He was the best red guy I'd ever met, along with my dad. And there was another guy, and Stevie died with, from cancer, with 34 years sober. And, I was a guy named Cy Payne who died with 44 years sober. And they were friends. And Cy said, I would have to yell at you constantly if you were my sponsor. I'm going to let Steve do that. and You can be my baseball sponsor. So I had these two guys that mentored me and taught me an awful lot about life. And what they both taught me was, if you keep doing the steps in accordance to where you are at that point of your life, it becomes profound. And the way that they had become was that they became people that thought of others first. That's the way they were. They were hotwired that way. They didn't have to make themselves not be selfish. They weren't selfish. They didn't have to tell myself, don't lie. They didn't lie. They, and that's what they meant by it becomes profound. And you open yourself up to the possibilities of what the gods or the great spirit or whatever has in store for us. I relapsed at 11 years. I haven't had a drink in 23 years, but I did relapse. They count shooting speed balls, which is picky, but they do it. <laughs> So, you know, irritating, shooting crack and speed balls. I didn't drink, you know, so I had 11 years and I was arrogant. Like I never, I have never judged anyone for going out and relapsing, but I, you know, but I never thought that I would because I had been in such hell. And, um, I got hit by a car, It ran a red light, fractured 67 small fractures in my eye socket, knocked me out. It was, you know, so they gave me a bottle of Oxycontin and said, take as needed, um, I had gone to Stevie, had a warehouse called the Cuckoo Factory, and I went there to take to his hospice care and he died. he had to go home he went home, but he basically up until the last week of his life, he lived there and he passed away and I tried to be his hospice care, and I relapsed around him dying um, but that 's not really what it was. I was arrogant and never thought I, I thought I was bulletproof because I was still doing everything I was supposed to do in recovery, but they gave me a bottle of Oxycontin and it said take as needed. Apparently it said take every four hours as needed, but I didn't see the four hours. So I just ate the whole bottle, <laughs> like 10 days worth, you know, and didn't die somehow. But um, I, when I relapsed, realized I had relapsed and lost my 11 years, which is awfully hard come by, uh. I said, okay, I'm going to go to 16th admission, which was a heroin speedball buying area for one night, which lasted six weeks and $30,000, which, I've never been a person with money and still don't have money, but, you know, took a long time to pay that off. Um, so that lasted six weeks and cost me dearly, but I did come back in and now I've got 11 years and nine months again. So I'm sober longer than the last time. Oh, and cool. coming, yeah. I'm coming up on 12 years and, um, you don't lose what you learn the first time through if you come back. I'm sure you keep some of it if you don't come back. But I can tell you during the six weeks out there, I wasn't focused on anything I had learned in those 11 years. But coming back, I can put that to use. And it's better this time. And so I get to walk towards the great mystery. So, I love
0: that. It's better It's better when you know. I'm a chronic relapser too. So it's like it's better when you know what you've lost. You know what I mean? Like it just makes it not, not that it makes it. It doesn't make nothing makes it easy to come back. Coming back is the hardest it's thing. It's hard. It's so much harder to come back than just to sit here, you know. And oh, yeah, go through whatever you're going through and feel the pain. It's so much harder to come back with your tail between your legs. And
1: it is, so it is, hard. But, but you know what? The learning part of it and the part about it becoming profound like being okay with being in pain, it's you know, being okay with being angry. It's, it's, I've been learning, I'm you know, a lot about like aligning yourself with the reality of things it's not just it's not just tail between the legs acceptance of life but like I quit like vaping and smoking eight days ago after 40 years and I feel like shit but I'm okay with feeling like shit because it's that's just the way that you feel yeah and like being like it's you gotta like part of this learning curve that we do is like learning how to you know, be okay with what the reality of the situation is. It doesn't mean you can't take action or have feelings or thoughts, but it means you have to accept it and not just run from it. Yeah. Which Ab- is what you're saying, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> just deal with it. It's easier than coming back because you might not make it back. No, I don't know with, how I've made it back so many times.
1: Well, with fentanyl in the picture, the odds of coming back were so much less. Um, I've had hundreds of friends overdose because of the work I did, because I switched after five years of doing HIV work to doing harm reduction work, which I'll talk about later. Yeah, let's talk
0: about that. Thanks so much again to Polly for being on this series of Radio Rehab episodes. Stick around for the next episode when we discuss harm reduction, how fentanyl is 80 times stronger than heroin, and the AIDS work that Polly did. If you want to be on the show or you know anyone who should be on the show, please contact us, the email... Is Radio Rehab at Gotoproductions.com. That's G O T O Productions.com. You can also call or text 415 496 9511 even when we're not in studio. And on all the socials, it's at Radio Rehab Dana, D A Y N A. Thank you for listening. Keep coming back.